So 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, reading from verse 3. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you, and give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marvelled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we're going to uh, look at that passage as part of our series on encouraging prayer. Uh, so let's take a moment now to pray and ask God uh, to help us to understand what he has to say to us in, in his word uh, this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our eyes so that we may see wonderful things in your word today. Help us and encourage us in our prayer and in knowing uh, what to pray for and helping us just encourage us to pray more. Please help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over these last few weeks, we've been looking at prayer from, from different angles. We've been looking at what to pray for. We've been looking at encouragements to prayer, all sorts of things. And in this, uh, in this session, we are turning to an aspect of prayer, I think, which is often overlooked or even ignored completely. It, uh, it's sometimes, you know, just, just not done at all. I think many people don't even, uh, don't even think uh, to do this. And when we pray for others, I think we often focus on their, uh, on their physical needs. We focus on their circumstances. Um, so, you know, we pray for comfort for people who are bereaved. We pray perhaps for someone to find a job if they're looking for a job. We pray for someone in financial difficulty, you know, and all of those kind of things. And all of those are good and right things to pray for. Um, but how often do we actually pray for someone in a spiritual way? And how often do we pray for what we might call spiritual growth? And that's what we're going to be uh, looking at in, in this, uh, from this passage, uh, sort of spiritual growth, what, what it is and, and how we sort of go about praying for it. Um, now just to put this into context before we get into to Thessalonians, just to remind you, I'm sure that you know you can immediately bring to bring to mind what was going on in, in Thessalonica 
I just remind you what we looked at last uh, last year when we were looking at 1 Thessalonians. Um, the Thessalonian church had been planted in the middle of severe suffering. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 6, um, you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering. So they were undergoing persecution for, for being Christian basically. Uh, that was what was going on in Thessalonica and yet they were still growing in Christ and this is what Paul gives thanks for in 1 Thessalonians again. We remember before God, this is chapter 1 verse 3, um, your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So despite the fact that they were being persecuted for their faith, they were growing in faith. And, uh, and we see this continuing in 2 Thessalonians, so that, that had continued. Um, now Paul uh, in this in this passage from 2 Thessalonians that we just read, he uh, the actual prayer is only in verses 11 and 12. It's just a short prayer. But he says, he starts that prayer with this in mind. And you know in the Bible, when it says things like that, you should look at what it what it's just said uh, in order to get a, an, an understanding of the background to why Paul prays it. So we're just going to um, look at uh, verses 3 to, 3 to 10 just to get the background um, because that really is important for understanding how and why Paul prays in this way. So let's look into that now. Paul, he, he starts out, he says, we ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters. He ought to always thank God for you. And, uh, you know, it just made me think, how often do we even give thanks for other people, for others in the church, you know, in, our, in our church family? I think giving thanks is something which we we may often um, overlook, you know, we sometimes do. Um, but I was really struck by what John Stott said about it in, in this little you know, uh, book, The Message of, uh, of Thessalonians. I think he was really helpful about this because, you know, it just helps to say, actually, it's a, it's a good way of, um, of both sort of um, giving thanks for someone, of sort of, in a sense, complimenting them, but not in a way which stokes their own ego. This is what John Stott says. There's an important practical lesson to learn here. What should our attitude be to Christians who are doing well in some aspect of their discipleship? Some people resort to congratulations. Well done. I think you're marvellous. I'm proud of you. Others are uncomfortable with this and see its incongruity. It borders on flattery, promotes pride and robs God of his glory. So although they may thank God privately in their prayers, they say nothing to the person concerned. They replace flattery with silence, which leaves him or her discouraged. Is there a third way which affirms people without spoiling them? There is. Paul exemplifies it here. He not only thanks God for the Thessalonians, he also tells them that he is doing so. We ought always to thank God for you. We boast about you. If we follow his example, we will avoid both congratulation, which corrupts, and silence, which discourages. Instead, we can affirm and encourage people in the most Christian of all ways. I thank God for you, brother or sister. I thank him for the gifts he has given you, for his grace in your life, for what I see in you of the love and gentleness of Christ. This way affirms without flattering and encourages without puffing up. I thought that was really helpful, actually, because I, I know praise, I think, in the Christian life is one of the hardest things. But you know, this is really helpful. You know, I thank God for you. You know, it gives praise and glory to God while encouraging someone as well. It's a really good thing. Perhaps let's uh, think and pray about how we might be able to do that. So why is Paul 
thankful for the Thessalonians. He's thankful because your faith is growing more and more and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. So their faith and their love are growing. Their faith is their trust in the Lord and the love flows out of that. The love is kind of the practical effects of, of the faith that they have. And this is really what spiritual growth is. It's growth, not just in our faith, in our Bible reading and in our prayer and you know, all of those kind of spiritual things. But it's also growth in, in the love that that produces, you know, the love for God and the love for others, the practical deeds of faith. And this is just, you know, the, the basic uh, message of the Bible, of, the, um, of the, the whole of the Bible, really. For example, uh, in James chapter 2, a famous um, verse here, James chapter 2, verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. You know that faith is something which must work out in our lives, in the good, good, good things, the love uh, that we have for one another, the deeds that we do. And that's, and that's what Paul gives thankful here, not just that their faith in, in kind of a, a sort of super spiritual sense, but their love, their acts of faith as well. So Paul, he goes on, verse four, um, so we boast about your perseverance and faith. Boasting, by the way, is not something um, I think, you know, they, they use the same word, but boasting is not quite in the sense that we would use it of someone today. You know, boasting in the New Testament, in the, the, the letters of Paul and the apostles, it's just saying, you know, we give thanks and praise and glory to God for all of the good things that, you know, we see in your life. It's sort of giving thanks, really, but giving thanks to others um, for what we see in, in the Thessalonian church in this case. So not quite in the modern sense boasting in the Lord, really, for what he is doing in them. And uh, he says they're boasting because their faith uh, is, it is growing in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. So um, often this is the way that, that it works, that suffering and trials, persecution, they are the acid test of faith. Now, suffering is often the acid test of faith and, and many Christians throughout the years have found this uh, to be the case. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote a book called A Grief Observed and in that book it's, it's written after the death of his wife and, uh, and he wrote this book as just kind of a personal reflection on his own grief and it's a good, very good short book but one of the things he said in that book which always really struck me is that in grief and in, in hard times you know, we find that the, the faith we've been building is actually a bit like a house of cards. And what the grief or the, you know, the difficulties come along and do is like knocking down that house of cards. And we find actually it wasn't so, so strong as we thought it was. And that's the point at which we either leave or we grow stronger and build stronger foundations in genuine faith and trust in, in the Lord. And, and this is what was happening to, to the Thessalonians at this time that their suffering and their fate their trials and persecution were sort of um, actually building stronger foundations in in the Lord and so uh, Paul goes on he says this is evidence that God's judgment is right so this is verse 5 and as a result you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering you'll be counted worthy what he means by that 
is that their faith would be proved genuine through the trial. So he said, you know, that, that the acid test of suffering and trials and persecution would prove that their faith was genuine. You know, they weren't fair weather friends. They weren't just, you know, having faith when it when it was convenient, but that actually they did genuinely believe and trust in the Lord and that the persecution would sort of reveal that. Now, he's not saying that they in any way, way, shape or form uh, needed to earn their salvation. He's not saying that, you know, you need to be worthy before you get salvation. He's saying actually that, you know, just that your faith will be proved genuine through this. And that's that's what he's saying. So then in, in this next section, verses 6 to 10, before he, he prays, uh, he starts talking about the future. And he talks about uh, two things, their future vindication, saying that they will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God and of the punishment of those who disobey the gospel. Now, why does Paul move on to talk about the future at this point? You think, well, what's that got to do with anything? What's that got to do with the subject that Paul is, is talking about? And the reason is that the Christian life is a life which only really makes sense with the end in mind. The Christian life only really makes sense with the end in mind, even in persecution and suffering, and perhaps especially in persecution and suffering. You think about it like an athlete training for uh, the Olympics for example and you know I don't know if you know much about athletes and Olympians I remember watching some of the documentaries when the Olympics are on and how you know athletes they, they have to go through special diets they have to get up early in the morning they can't see their friends they can't join in and this goes on for months and months and months you know that if you want to train to be an Olympic athlete you have to be prepared to give up a lot you have to be prepared to undergo a lot of um, not persecution exactly, but you know you have to put yourself through a lot to be to, you know for the prize. And this is the thing that you know we we as Christians you know we do go through a lot, but we have to keep our eyes on the prize. You know, we have to keep our eyes on the future. And it, you know it made me wonder what would our lives really look like, you know, both as individuals and and as a church, if we really believed that God would reward those who earnestly seek him and who stick to him in everything, and God would punish those who disobey the gospel. Now, what would our lives look like if we really deeply believed that? So, suffering is something which can cause us to doubt that. You know, when we undergo suffering, we're caused to, to think, actually, do I really believe this? Especially if we're suffering for the gospel. You know, especially if we're undergoing persecution for Christ. You know, it, it can make us think, actually, is that, am I, am I re do I really want to be a Christian? And, uh, and this is why Paul, I think perhaps the Thessalonians were, were thinking this. And this is why Paul reminds them of the future. He says, no, 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 you're on the right path. You're on the right path. Uh, and, you know, it made me think it's actually a, a challenge to how I think about the lockdown. Because so often I'm kind of, you know, I'm moping around and, uh, well, you know, I'm not... But, you know, I, I often have the wrong attitude towards it, you know, rather than thinking about these things as, um, you know, just oh, I just can't wait for it all to be over. Perhaps I should use it as an opportunity to grow and to, to pray and trust God that God knows what he's doing and to, to seek him and his will in these circumstances. 
So then we come now to actual to Paul's actual prayer, verses 11 and 12. So what does Paul pray for and how does that relate to what he's just been, been saying? Well, Paul prays for two things. He prays firstly that God, uh, God may make you worthy of his calling. Uh, and then he prays uh, that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. So he prays for their faith and he prays for their deeds, you know, faith and love. Um, and those two things, as we saw at, uh, at the beginning. And you could summarise that, you know, the faith and the love as spiritual growth. That's, that's the word I'm going to use, uh, spiritual growth. Now, have you ever prayed for that for someone else? Or certainly, have you ever prayed that very often? for someone else. And this is Paul's priority in his prayer for the Thessalonians. He's praised for them, uh, for their faith to grow and for their good uh, deeds, their, their love to grow as well. Why does Paul pray this? What's his, his motivation for praying this way? And he finishes off verse 12. Uh, we pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. So he says it's all about the glory of Jesus, that Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him. And that's what our life should be about. That's what the life of the church should be about, is about bringing Jesus glory. And that's why Paul says this. And how do we bring Christ glory? And I think the way that, that we do that is by, by a love and a, a kind of care in us shown and a faith shown in us which is only possible through Jesus. You know, when we are doing, uh, when we are loving uh, God, loving each other, um, when we're, you know, working, when God is working among us, people will look and say, ah, that can't be a human thing. That has to be Jesus at work. And that's how we, you know, we bring glory to him. You know, when we, when we obey him, when we trust him, when we live for him and people see that, uh, then that brings glory to God. And uh, finally, he says, according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, he brings it back to grace. Now he's saying that this is not something which happens because we deserve it, because we are very hard working, um, but rather because of the grace of God. That's the only reason that this happens. It's not our own deserving, our own merit, but it only, it's only by God's grace. So Paul brings everything back to grace. Uh, which is so important. So let's uh, let's take uh, take stock then as we draw to a close. What lessons can we learn from this passage? Well, I think it helps us to understand and to think about how we can pray for others, and it, we can pray for faith. Now we can pray that someone's faith will grow. We can pray that uh, they would trust more in God. They would love Him more. We can pray that they would. Uh, spend more time in the word they would understand the word uh, better um, we can pray for their own their own prayer and their own walk with God that they would be able to take delight more and more in prayer and we can pray for love as well and we can pray that uh, not only would their their kind of inner um, walk with God improve but that that would spill over into their good deeds and you know a blessing to others a blessing to the community uh, and a blessing uh, to the church so pray for faith, pray for love and pray above all for the glory of Jesus 
that Jesus would be glorified in their life and through all that all that goes on. And remembering that this is not just for individuals, but for, for a church as well. You know, Paul prays this for a whole church. And, you know, we can pray this for individuals and we can pray this for churches too. Now, this is something which can be, um, it's just what all Christians should be kind of looking for. And we need to be praying this for each other, both in an individual sense and in a whole church uh, sense. It's a real challenge to me, really, as I think about this and think actually how, compared to Paul, how lackluster my own, uh, my own praying is. Um, I think one of the real challenges, though, to praying like this is just thinking about how well we know each other. And, th and this is just something I'll, I'll finish with. Um, I was thinking about this in the lockdown, actually. You know, one of the things that we've really seen as we've gone through the lockdown is how, um, I mean, someone was saying um, on the live stream earlier, I noticed, oh, it's a windy day. You know, you notice how it must be really windy in St. John's. And I was thinking, you know, in some ways it's actually more comfortable meeting in our own homes, isn't it? I mean, you know, um, compared to compared to, um, you know, church, you don't have to you don't have to get in the car. Uh, you know, you don't have to walk in this sort of weather sometimes, you know, if it's raining or whatever. Um, St. John's can be a bit cold in the winter or very cold in, in the winter and so on. So it can be more comfortable meeting in our homes but there's so much that we miss and, and this is what I'm thinking about this passage you know that that Paul here is encouraging us or one of the things is encouraging us is to pray for each other to, to have that kind of fellowship that that we would admit that we've sort of missed over the last few months and I really genuinely hope that as we go forward out of the lockdown that we'll take this opportunity to realize it's so much more important to to not just to meet but actually to have that kind of Christian fellowship, you know, to be able to talk to other Christians, to be able to share our burdens, to be able to pray for each other in a more, you know, um, you know, tell me what your what your problems are. Tell me where you're struggling. Let me pray for you in those kind of ways. And it's something which perhaps as we haven't been able to do so easily over the last few months. Um, so, you know, this kind of thing, it may be more appropriate for a, a home group or a prayer trip, you know, but just to have other Christians who you know well and who you're able to pray for in a, a more sort of personal way, pray for their faith and their love to grow in a more personal way and to share with them where your own uh, situation is. You know, perhaps think about how you might do that. Perhaps join a home group, uh, perhaps you know, join a prayer triplet or, or to form a prayer triplet with people, you know, to pray regularly for each other and that, you know, we might pray, uh, you know, find practical ways of praying for each other, for our faith and our love to grow. But we can all pray uh, for spiritual growth for our whole church. And I hope that that's something that we'll all be able to do uh, over the coming months, especially as we come out of lockdown, to pray that God would use this time for us to grow in our walk with him. So let's take a moment now um, to, as we come to a, a close to, to pray and ask God that he would help us to be able to take this, this message on board. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, for this wonderful um, uh, book of, uh, of two Thessalonians. We thank you for Paul's message, for Paul's prayers, for your heart that you gave him for this church. And we pray that you would help us to take on board these lessons, to be able to pray well for each other, that you would help us to, to learn how to be a church family and that you would enable us to have that love for you and love for each other. 
uh, that you would increase that in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.